When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is uh, actually, this is what, maybe the second or third time we've done this together? I think so. Yeah, so not very often do I get to have Sean at the same place I'm at, but fortunate to have him here in Denver at a meeting I'm at, and uh, he's uh, nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing really, really good. Good, man. Get good travel in? No travel is good. You know, got in <clears throat> with despite all the snow and delays and cancellations, my flight was good, so... Yeah. Um, and, and tomorrow's going to clear out, which is even better. So I can get home. Yeah, that's even better. That's the best part of traveling. Going exactly. Home, right? exactly. All right. So Sean, man, there's a lot of stuff going on and you're going to, you're going to speak to, to, uh, to my group tomorrow. We're going to talk about some stuff. And I think probably a good topic for us to spend a little time on today. And we spent, you know, we've kind of talked about it a little bit in the past, but you know, here we are, the tensions that we see with China right now. And this is something I've been thinking about for a while. The tension we've seen with China you brought it up when we were talking about this, that there could be a day that China says, you know what, we're not going to get anywhere. You're going to be our absolute last point of resort. We're only going to come to you if we absolutely need you, so on and so forth. And if that turns off, you said 2 billion bushels. And oddly enough, the amount of biodiesel that we need to create to cover that, uh, to, to really self-sustain the United States is about 2 billion bushels. 
So looking at that, Sean, and, and, and where we're at right now, that scenario is – there's probably a better chance of it playing out than not playing out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fairly certain to me that at some point we're just going to stop trading right. grains with China the way that's going. They're now getting friendly with, you know, um, Russia and, and uh, Iran. And it's just – so I think – you know, you know, maybe the government's actually thinking ahead, but when you really think this through, if they stop buying the two billion bushels of, of soybeans, or or you know, we lose most of that business, what do we do? You know, we have to, and so so we're in the mode of getting away from fossil fuel, getting away from hydrocarbons. What better way to create a good, vibrant domestic ag market than to say, hey, let's develop all this renewable diesel out of bean oil right. that we grow domestically, keep all the money here. Create and you know cash basis, cash bids in a domestic market is much more powerful than when you got to send it overseas sure. and reliable. So um, everybody wins. The prices are making money. People are hiring people. I mean, it, it's just it's it's a strong economic unit. And I think ultimately, the EIA came out um, last month and said that if all the current expectations of plant uh, construction play out. That we're going to produce, or we're going to produce 2.9 billion gallons more of renewable diesel than we currently do today. Mm -hmm. If you translate that to how many bushels of soybeans we would need to make that, it's about 1.5 uh, bushels per gallon. So you'll figure that right. it's about two billion bushels of soybeans we would need. That's 44 million acres at 50 bushel to the acre. Okay. So if our exports stayed at 2 billion, we would need to plant 44 million more bushels of, I mean, more acres of soybeans, which of course we're not going to do. Right. If we cut that in half, if we got our exports cut in half, it's 22. If we cut it in half again, it's 10, which is still, a, you know, all these are very, very big numbers. Right. So my expectation is, is that it's going to be some common, I mean, we don't <laughs> only sell to, to China, we sell soybeans sure. down there. So, sure. Um, my feeling is that maybe that two billion bushels of exports maybe falls to something like five hundred million bushels to a billion, mm -hmm. and then we want to find a way to get an extra ten to fifteen million acres planted in soybeans, and then we let China and Brazil trade amongst each other. Right. It's it kind of and and we become the largest exporter of bean meal in the world. I mean, we just dominate because we're going to pr produce all this bean meal resulting from all this crushing for bean oil. And if we certainly won't need it all domestically. So we're simply going to transfer one export to another. Now, remember, China does not buy bean meal. They buy the raw soybeans, but others do buy bean meal. Right. So the big thing is, what does is, what is Argentina do? Because if they get cut out of the deal and that's their yeah, baby train. That's their big deal. Yeah. There's the, the plumbing is going to really get, yeah. uh, it's got big transition and, and, and it's not going to go smoothly. There's going to be, holes in the food chain of how this all works out which means guess what price volatility yeah and that's uh that's the key to making money that's the key to making money and, and, and also it's, lose money too but. and lose money too but but what i mean is it, it's a, it's a it's an additional dynamic to the climate that we've been talking about that that's going to add surprises um so so just as an example so you know everything that i'm hearing is that we're going to plant more corn as it stands today, and we're going to keep soybeans about flat. Well, that doesn't really fit in with what we right. need to do. I just think something is going to happen there. Uh, the market has to figure this out pretty quick because it, it can't wait too long to get those extra right. acres in, you know? Right, yeah. So, All right, so in the big picture scheme, and you're looking at, at the over 
overarching thing. So areas like where I live out in Panhandle, Nebraska, Eastern Colorado, um, Eastern Wyoming, um, you know, you start really looking at some of these areas, Eastern Montana, I mean, you're kind of getting north there, but you start looking at some places where the elevation starts to play a role in, in the production of soybeans. Now, not that I can't grow soybeans out here, because I certainly can, but I'm not going to get the 80, 90 bushel, you know, 70 bushel stuff. It's going to be doing that 40-ish bushel range, you know. Um, <clears throat> that's going to change the crop landscape quite a bit across the United States. And you start looking at at acres like um, like cotton, you start looking at wheat, you start looking at um, well, just, corn. And all just just you know, to, the, to the extent that there's, you know, uh, grazing ground that can be converted. You know, I don't know yeah. how much, I haven't done the research on how much of that is a, could, could be used or would be, you know, but I mean, there's some of it. Yeah. And then you say, okay, I lose, I lose alfalfa hay ground pasture ground to to soybeans and that means less for for you know for my cows to feed on you know there's a, a lot of you know and the other thing that i think the government might be thinking about is you know whether whether we agree with it or not we're moving away from the gasoline engine right. to something else so you know sure. right now it's electric cars maybe it's gonna be something hydrogen fuel cells whatever it is mm -hmm. but the demand for gasoline over time is going to decline, which means the demand for ethanol is going to decline. Right. And the, so the corn acres, five yeah. to 5.5 .5 billion bushels of corn, if you take away the DDGs, let's say the 3 billion bushels of corn net takeaway that we put into the ethanol deal, if that were to go away, then we have a heck of a lot more acres of corn planted than we need. Right. So maybe the government is thinking ahead, I don't know, but maybe they're thinking we have some of that corn that can go over to soybeans and re-establish the balance of power if we're going to continue to go away from gasoline run engines. Yeah. So let's talk about this a little bit. So right now cattle herds at all time lows, as low as it's been since 1960 something. Um, you're looking at, at calf prices out that you're contracting at almost $2 a pound. I mean, you're really looking at some, some really heavy, um, there's not a lot of motivation there to build to build the herd up when you can take a heifer to the to market and get more for it than you would if, if you just kept it around. Well, the only way it's going to start making sense is you got to get the feed price down. You know, you don't like, like what happened uh, in uh, 13, 14 after the 2012 drought, when we crashed the price and it came back, you know, lost half its value. You need to get the feed price down. You need to get it to where it's extremely profitable to retain the animals, um, fatten them up and, and, and reproduce them and, and get that two year cycle going again. Um, we're not there yet. We're just not there yet. Um, you know, so so one of the things we talk about tomorrow is obviously, you know, the El Nino provides the weather pattern for cool, wet, big crops, right. lower prices. And there's a great debate on whether that will be this year or next year. And we'll go over the various scenarios. But I mean, certainly we feel by 24 for sure we're going to have finally get the big crop in the US, right. a temporary reprieve. And that's when you know, the cattle price could really, really do something wild and we get those numbers back up again. Um, but in, until then, you know, it, you're right. There's really very little incentive to do anything, but just, you know, put some equity back after, right. after a really rough time with COVID and all the fires they had. Oh, yeah. It was, it was really, I mean, they just need to put some money back in the business right now. Right. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess as you're looking at this, Sean, and you're, you're kind of feeling through all this stuff. I mean, the cattle market looks like it's it's positioned itself, like you said, for at least two years now to see some some really good opportunities to build equity. Past that two year period, as you start looking at if if this um, whole biodiesel thing takes off, and we start taking out more corn acres and 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 more feed 
style crops out, does that really help the overall feed? Well, you could, you, you know, if you think this through this, you could have a scenario where we, you know, in year three, this herd starts, the cattle herd really starts to go. And we need all this new, you know, we need all this corn feed that we need all this grazing ground. Oh, I'm sorry. We took 10 million acres out. Right. Well, that's a problem because now the feed price goes up. We don't have enough, you know, and that, that, that's not a good situation. So, um, you know, we'll have to see how it all plays out. You know, obviously the only reason why bio di renewable diesel pencils out is because the government is subsidizing it heavily. If it was left under normal economics, the way it stands today, it's a losing proposition. So they have to stay behind it. I'm not very good at predicting what the government's going to do next, but <laughs> right. the big risk is yeah. Biden doesn't, you know, Biden or his administration or the Democrats or somebody new gets in that's not them and they say, we're not, we don't want to continue. We're going to stop, we're pulling the plug on this. Then, mm -hmm. then it's a whole, you know, so I, it, it's, it's one of those, you know, ethanol, they kept it, they just kept it going. They kept right. it on. I kind of feel once we go down the path far enough, there's too much money involved. There's too much big money at risk that they're going to, they, they, the turning back would be not in the political best interest. So I think if we can get to 25 and get that build out, yep. it's going to pretty hard to reverse that. I think the government will have to stay behind it and, and, and keep it going. Maybe, maybe ease back, you know, a little bit, but, but I don't think they can walk away from it at that point. It's, it's, it's too late at that point. All right. Okay. All right. Let's talk about some of the weather stuff that you've, that you've had, um, on and some of your reports and stuff we're seeing this big winter storm move through here and you did talk about having a a short a shorter more intense winter and we've definitely had definitely had that and i mean so look at that sean going into spring what are your thoughts about about spring planning and and how do you see that playing out well you know we certainly the moisture this winter has been considerably better in most areas than it's been the last couple of years so we're going to get we're going to have the moisture in the ground that we haven't had to get off to a good start if we can get the temperatures warm enough sure. so that we get that 45 degrees or higher. I think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see in early spring, you know, get, you know, get those good warm late March, early April temperatures, get out of the gate fast and get a good planting uh, pace going. And, 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 you know, and with wet ground, you're going to, it's going to come out. So, you know, that's going to be bearish for the market heading into that mid April timeframe. And then the question will be, at that point, the two signposts that we're watching is, are the models correct that El Nino is going to arrive by the spring, early summer? Or is, is the El Nino kind of backing off? Is it delaying? Is it not advancing the way that the current models are suggesting? Because that has a lot to do with whether drought comes back this year or whether this is the El Nino year and we right. get the big props and we get the lower prices and the cattle guys say, let's go rebuild. You know, right. Our work has said, uh, we went back to 1850 and looked at all the metrics and um, looked at all multi-year La Ninas that transitioned to El Nino. And only one time have we been able to develop an El Nino by July, one time mm -hmm. out of 14 times. Um, it doesn't mean it can't happen, but it means the probabilities are not good. It, it probably suggests that the models are being too aggressive. And by the way, it's 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 not it, it's well known that models have a very high degree of error. In predicting El Nino Lenya prior to the springtime. Right. So I would really uh, be very, very cautious in overplaying the models right now. We think by the time we get to April and May, it'll be clear that yes, La Nina is gone and it's gone, but we're going to be more of a neutral state. And in a neutral state, we can have drought come back, especially at a time 
that the 89-year Gleisberg cycle is is expected to repeat or to return over the next three years. So, so there's a lot going on. And, you know, obviously as time goes on, we'll be able to firm up and get a little more clarity and get a little more um, 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 confidence in exactly how this is going to play out. But our work, our best case scenario is later in the year, El Nino drought risks elevated. Um, and if that's the case, then the herd rebuilding phase that we've just talked about with cattle would have to be, we'll have to wait until 2024. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Last topic here, and then we'll we'll close it down. Sean, as you take a look at world grain supplies and what we see there, um, this is the second year in a row, if not third year in a row, where we've uh, consumed more than we've produced. And obviously, you know, world ending stocks you know, should reflect that. Um, I guess, in your opinion, like how, how many more cycles like this can we have before we just see total anarchy in, in some of these third world countries? Well, we've drawn down a global wheat, I mean, um, global grain ending stocks have declined six years in a row. Right. And um, so, you know, we're really at the, I mean, we've talked about this before, but yeah. the one thing that's <clears throat> kept the system just barely together has been the fact that we've had enough rice to feed the world, um, India has been able and willing to sell a lot of rice for, you know, and, and even though the wheat price got carried away, you know, the, the, the wheat, the rice market kept the starving people from starving. So how much longer could we go? I don't think we could go. So I guess where I'm at with this is that if we have another year, if the U.S. were to get into trouble and we have a Glasper cycle, which means there's no way we could have a, an increase in ending stocks um, in the next crop cycle, if, if that were to occur, I think that's the breaking point. I don't think we can have another rung down in grain inventories because we, we, we already raised with thin and the rice uh, situation is starting. You know, the price price has been rising now sure. for six straight months. So I really think, you know, I deeply, deeply hope that the Glassberg cycle waits until like 25 mm -hmm. because, you know, for humanity purposes, it would really help to kind of get a little breathing room before we go back into the fire than to just, just, you know, put lighter fluid on it right now. It's not up to me to do that. God's in charge and he'll right. decide. But, yeah. um, you know, that's we're, my view. We're one year away, one bad crop cycle away from some very, very ugly geopolitical civil unrest and, and unpleasantries. And, and what we've seen so far already has been, if you take a look at some of the African countries, like we talked about this before, looking at some of the African countries, there's what, 62 African countries or whatever there are, 54, I think 54 African countries. And something like 80% of those have had some level of a coup. Attempt. Well, even in West Africa, which is one of the more affluent areas of Africa, where they grow a lot of cocoa, you know, in Ghana, they're they're rioting in the streets. I mean, it's it's getting out of control because their inflation is is just is running over them and they don't and they don't have that. Nigeria is going through another sure. it's really a mess. And uh, you know, that's where it starts because Africa is is always where it starts, and then it and then the dominoes fall from there. Yeah. And you know the Middle East is next, and, yep. and then you know then you go. So so yeah, I think we're seeing seeing the early signs of what this might look like, but it would certainly spread far and wide, much further than than this if if we had another crop problem yep. overall. Sure. So, well, Sean, good stuff as usual, man. Folks on reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing. How do they do that? Our website is Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors .com. Our Twitter page is at F E R I D E X. 11 and we also have a linkedin page 
but you can search Sean Hackett or Hackett Financial Advisors will pop up. From time to time, we share some of our interviews, some of our cycles uh, uh, to keep people up to date. Obviously, we do the same thing on our website. Yep. Right on. Well, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast. It's always fun to have you. Always, always glad podcast. to be here face to face. Always fun. <laughs> I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the video version of this podcast at the uh, YouTube channel, Moving Iron Podcast, and go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. Take advantage of that $50 discount from Axon if you're one of the first 150 people to sign up for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in September 11th through the 13th at uh, down in Nashville. So if you're interested in doing that or need more information about that, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I'll make sure to get back to you as soon as I can. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. We're Sean Hackett. It's going to be smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century.